0: Hi there, I'm Robert Netgen, host of the Information Security Podcast. Today, we are live from the Information Security Summit 2019 event in Cleveland, Ohio, where thought leaders and industry experts come together for three days of intriguing discussion, networking, and learning. And I'm here with a a really interesting gentleman, Joe Weiss, and, and I can say interesting because I was yesterday doing preparation for these podcasts, and so I had a chance to look up information on everybody. And and Joe, I'm looking forward to this conversation we're going to have because you are an interesting fellow. So, I know that, but the people listening need to know a little bit about you. But please, introduce yourself.
1: Okay. Again, thank you. My name is Joe Weiss. I'm the managing partner of Applied Control Solutions, which is...
0: What is What is Applied Control Solutions? I'm
1: basically an independent consultant working on control system cybersecurity, and improving control systems. It's an extension of what I've been doing, you know, my entire career. It's just I moved from not worrying about somebody maliciously doing something to figuring out what do we do if they're going to try or how do we prevent it or how do we even know it. Uh, I'm really here because there's, there's essentially two conferences here in Cleveland, one is called Energy Tech, yes, which is the engineering part of the world, and then you've got the
0: Information Security in- Summit side in- by the- side. We're like Siamese twins at this conference. And
1: the whole reason I'm giving a keynote at four o'clock this afternoon is because we may be in proximity, but we really don't talk together, work together, or coordinate or th- remotely think alike. And we can't secure our infrastructures as long as that continues to occur. And so the hope is that I'll have a bunch of people from the uh, Information Security Summit upstairs around 4 o'clock when I give the keynote, because they really need to understand this isn't just another Windows system that they can just, you know.
0: So energy systems, and when we talk about energy systems, we're talking about the power, the lights on in our home maybe the natural gas coming through the pipes to our house, Um, all sorts of of things that we take for granted until it's not there.
1: We're often... Somebody came up with this term, and it's great. We're the invisible visible. We're there everywhere and nobody sees it. So this is electric, water, oil, gas, chemicals, manufacturing, transportation... um, the crazy thing is the automated sprinkler systems. I mean, these are just things that are there all over. You know, you see the uh, in the building controls, you see all of the uh, uh, the sprinkler heads and whatever. All of that is going to control systems, and everybody sees it and never sees it.
0: Except in a movie where it's uh, theatrically dramatized in, in perhaps an over-the-top fashion, but maybe that over-the-top fashion isn't so far-fetched nowadays.
1: Well, it's not, in fact... Real things have happened that make a lot of the quote-unquote dramatization pale in comparison to what's actually happened. Um, It's just most of the information that comes out about control systems and cybersecurity is misleading, wrong, or taken through a lens Excuse me. More of an IT lens. Wait, wait
0: a minute. You mean the people who work for energy companies are having the marketing people give the message, rather than the people who actually know what's going on in the security companies? I'm saying that a little satirically, because I imagine no, I'm that's what's happening. No, i
1: real. Okay. And this is part of why I'm giving the presentation. And I'll, I'll in fact, before I do that, let me kind of give you a, a little bit of a background. Please. And also, in a sense, what what is it that Applied Control Solutions is, I happen to be, by education in my first 18 years, 20 years, a nuclear engineer. In fact, here we are in Cleveland, I spent a lot of time out at Perry.
0: That's a nuclear power plant in uh, the northeast part of Ohio.
1: Yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 miles northeast of Cleveland on Lake Erie. And I used to come out a decent amount there dealing with the instrumentation and controls you know, long before I ever heard the term cybersecurity. So the point being, I'm a control system engineer that until 2000 was working on all of these, if you will, control systems for the grid, power plants, pipelines, you name it. Uh, And the concept of either cybersecurity or malicious never came to mind.
0: Well, a lot of those things were designed in the days where connections were all dial-up.
1: It wasn't just that. Okay. It was the simple fact that we thought technology was a single-edged sword. In other words, it was only for the good. Who in the world would ever want to compromise
0: that? I we mean, didn't put keys in cars until we realized, oh, wow, if we don't do that, people will start stealing them yeah, the who bad guys don't own will, them.
1: Yeah, the bad guys who don't own them will take them.
0: You know, okay. We didn't put locks on doors until we realized, oh, wow, people who don't belong here will try to come through these doors. And, and the same thing applies to all facets of cyber, including infrastructure.
1: And the difference is that much of infrastructure has been built where it may not be easily retrofittable to put security
0: in. One of those paradigms of putting security in after the fact is always harder than baking it in from the beginning.
1: Well, and in this case, it may not even be possible to to put it in at the end. This is, again, part of the... My presentation that I'll be giving later this afternoon.
0: Now, some of this, I imagine, is tied up with the capital expenditures of industry. What kind of what kind of lifespans does in infrastructure in in energy, like electrical systems? I mean, we're not talking like five years or or you know three years, like we think of with PCs. We're talking decades. Am I right?
1: Yeah, you know, I used to have uh, a big project uh, out at a utility in the southeast, and they still have an Alice Chalmers transformer. This is something that was built in the
0: 50s. Okay, now we're talking something that's older than me.
1: It's Yes.
0: I'm 57, and so we're talking about something that predates my birthday in the early 60s. We're talking about something in the 50s, still in use today. Still in use today. As as part of critical infrastructure delivering electricity. Yes. Because it It isn't broke. Why replace it?
1: And, and what gets replaced is that very large transformer is working fine. What gets upgraded over the years is, if you will, the electronic protection. So it goes from being cyber dumb to cyber alive. And that's what's changing. That box, you know, this big transformer that it's trying to protect is still from the 1950s. And there are other cases... I can bring up that take you even earlier. I was in a meeting last week um, where one of the people from the water industry was saying, they still use in places, wooden pipes from the 1800s which is also before your time.
0: Yes, I can, I can vouch for that, that's yes. definitely true. I, can, I can definitely just, vouch for that.
1: And the way they found it is it was finally leaking.
0: And, you know, again, if it isn't broke, they have no reason to check it out. That's correct. And, and now with all of this stuff being attached to the Internet and out of sight, out of mind, it's out of sight, out of mind perhaps for us, but not for our adversaries. And these adversaries, when you're connected to the Internet, can be anywhere on the Earth.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's one other point I want to bring up too. There is a perception, particularly in the IT community, that you've got to be att- connected to the Internet you know, you have this con- this term, Internet of Things, but this concept that in order to be vulnerable, you have to be connected to the internet, and that's not true.
0: If you think wait a minute, you can be vulnerable even though you're not connected to the internet. Absolutely, uh, tell me more. Tell me more.
1: Um, one of the 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 you know big cases is this thing called Stuxnet. That's when uh, they cyber attacked the centrifuges in Iran.
0: It the first turned- actual cyber warfare that we know of that became public information.
1: That became public information, okay? Um, but the point being there was that that facility was not connected to the Internet. So they had to find an alternative means of getting to it. And in this case, they got to it through the USBs. A flash drive. A flash drive that was used because you need to update systems or provide new software, you name it, so, if you can't do it from the internet, you've got to do it from a flash drive. I mean, this will sound crazy. You know, talk about old, a floppy. Mm-hmm. you're reading now about, mm-hmm. you know,
0: Which, up until weapons. this year, the missile silos still used 8-inch floppies, as so I read.
1: So, my, my point being, you've got systems that have to be updated. Period. So, the general thought is you're going to use the internet. But there are... Cases where you, for whatever reason, you can't or won't use the Internet. But there is remote access in. There's remote access where, for example, you have wireless connectivity. But it doesn't at all have to be what you're used to saying. It's got to be connected to the Internet and it got to be you, you know, running Windows interfaces. That doesn't need to happen, and it still can be very cyber-vulnerable. And yes, that's already been...
0: And and of course, to ask a a facetious question, of course these systems are running the latest version of Windows and the latest security patches, or are they?
1: Of course not. But let me again take you through this. In the IT world, and here's another point, every organization, whether, say, it's a utility, an electric utility, a water utility the Department of Defense, whatever, has a, if you will, a front office where you have payroll, where you have billing, where you have whatever you're going to have. And that's very traditional IT. And doing patches can be done in an automated, predictable manner. You know, Patch Tuesday, off you go. But when you start talking about control systems... You may have a critical workstation that if you take it out of service, the lights go out, a steel mill goes down, a ship goes dead in the water. So we'll have systems that simply can't be patched for, say, one to three to five years. Why? Because that's the first time you can get to it without bringing a facility down.
0: Because you need downtime to do the patch. Yes. Because of the design of that system. You don't have a failover system to facilitate the patching of it.
1: That is correct. And that is also why I happen to be involved with the International Society of Automation, ISA. And ISA 99 happens to be the International Standards on Control System Cybersecurity. I'm the managing director. But we have a a committee that is working specifically on patch management for control systems because IT patch management just isn't relevant. And we've had many, 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 many systems shut down or worse because they put in an over-the-network patch.
0: Now, a lot of people hear your passion, genuine passion, I might add. Not, not FUD, not sky is falling, chicken little type, uh, frenetic type of discussion. Genuine passion about a real threat. And, and they thought, you know, but they don't get it. This has happened in the world already cyber attacks exploiting this. I think I was reading uh, some comments as I uh, did some Google searches on your name, and I found that you've commented about the Ukrainian power issues. The Russians have actually used, at least we believe it was the Russians, this type of attack on infrastructure to bring down the grid in Ukraine. Is, is this correct, and can you tell twice. us about that? Twice,
1: twice. Twice, not once, twice. 2015, 2016, and, What happened, there's a lot of interesting aspects to both of those. The first was that, and this is backwards, but again, everything is real. None of this is FUD. The Russians basically put malware in our U.S. grids in the 2014 time frame. Still there.
0: Russian malware malware is in in the U.S. power grid.
1: Yes, since at least 2014. uh, For for
0: our live podcast audience, does that give you a warm, fuzzy feeling to know that Russian malware is in the grid keeping the lights on in in this facility, in the IX Center? That's a scary thought, because if memory serves me correct by happenstance, I happen to know that the lights in the northern part of Ohio are controlled by a secret facility, which happens to be in Brecksville, Ohio. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But I'm saying that because they know that.
1: The ultimate irony with the 2003 Northeast outage, which is what you're talking about, when I was at EPRI, the Electric Power Research Institute, it turns out Eastlake, which was the power plant that was involved, was the power plant we were using as our, quote-unquote, Bailey power plant of the future. That's what we were using. I mean, I got calls the morning of 2000, you know, the August 2003, and two things happened, and what I'm giving you is real. I mean, there's nothing made up about it. And another way of looking at it is, if you look at the final report of the 2003 Northeast outage, Roughly a quarter to a third of the recommendations in the final report were cyber. Think about that for a minute.
0: Not just tree trimming, which no. we've seen tons of people what doing. What happened was... Cyber recommendations. Cyber. Have they done any of them?
1: Some. Others, they've avoided. You, you, and that I can't tell you why. Okay, I have my own thoughts, but can't tell you. But what happened was that the trees fell on the line. First Energy, I'm not, you know, everything I'm giving you is public, mm-hmm. had an old SCADA system. I won't mention the vendor's name, but it's public.
0: A SCADA is this oh, for it stands those who...
1: for, It stands for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition.
0: And this is old technology. This no, it this... doesn't
1: have to be. SCADA is just, it's a form of a master station. It's a big, almost IT-ish
0: And and this is basically a giant electronic on-off system and control system, is it not? It's a control
1: system, so it's trying to optimize the grid and both from uh, a financial perspective, a, a functionality perspective. In other words, you're doing your best to match, you know, supply and demand, if you will. And by doing this also, you can minimize the number of people you have in the field, Okay. So instead of having to man every substation, you can remotely monitor every substation. Well, what happened was they had an older SCADA system with a known failure mode, but they figured, hey, we're going to be getting a new one fairly soon. Well, they didn't get it soon enough, and the failure mode was that if you had enough alarms, there would be a latching mechanism that would prevent any alarm from occurring. So the SCADA operator... At that facility you're talking about, which by the way, I had worked with that facility years ago when I was at EPRI, um, was getting no alarms. He was getting phone calls from all of the neighboring utilities telling him that the grid was falling apart. And he looked and he said, I have no alarms, therefore I won't do anything. And it was between that, the tree trimming.
0: Whoa.
1: This is all real and documented. There's nothing. And when you think about what happened with Stuxnet, What happened with the 2003 Northeast outage was unintentional, not malicious. What Stuxnet did was take it one step further. Malicious. So when they did the cyber attack, what they did then is they replayed all of the operator displays to convince the operator nothing bad was happening. So they did what was occurring in here in, you know,
0: They modeled the 2003 event to take a a cue from that in this this, uh, cyber attack, hypothetically. Yes. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I I know we're running a little long in this podcast, but this is a very interesting topic, and one that I think is is underserved. I know Ted Koppel wrote a book a couple of years ago. Has that made any impact? I mean, we're talking Mr. Ted Koppel of Nightline, (sighs) which for our generation, you know, big figure in media. Ted's
1: book... I got to be careful. From a technical perspective, it wasn't necessarily correct. Okay. Um, And the bulk of the book, it was like the book one second after that dealt with EMP. Mm -hmm. The technical part was maybe uh, a chapter or a couple of lines. The rest of it was like, you know getting meals ready to eat in Utah and-
0: Survival preparation. Survival, okay. But did it get everybody's attention about the fact no. that we should be thinking about these issues- no. Regardless of threat?
1: No, and what's gonna be interesting here today, and, and it just started not too long ago, and this is what I'm hoping will start getting people's attention. With the electric side, now this is not water or oil gas manufacturing, but for the electric side, they have a set of requirements for cybersecurity. And it is a very, 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 very weak set of requirements that does literally almost nothing to protect our electric grids.
0: So now, even though they have these requirements, it probably isn't going to stop an adversary like a North Korea, oh no, like an Iran, no, like a Russia that. or a China from succeeding in their attack.
1: No, and, 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 and honestly, it wasn't meant to. It really wasn't meant to stop a nation state. It was really meant to stop something less than a nation state. But what happened, and th- the reason I'm going through this is because we've got a presentation that's going to be here right before mine, which is what I'm hoping is going to start changing the mindsets. Because with the electric industry, the electric industry has been using the NERC SIPs NERC being the North American Electric uh, Reliability Corporation, SIP meaning critical infrastructure protection standards, as a way of saying, hey, we've met this, we're okay. But those standards were developed by the industry. This is the fox guarding the the hen house. And it wasn't just it was developed by the electric industry. It was developed by the security and IT people in the electric industry. It was not developed by the people who run the grid. It was not developed by the people who run the power plants.
0: We need to get, lady, need to get a lot of these people in the same room.
1: That's part of what my presentation is about.
0: And just to circle back to the very thing that you started off this conversation with, we, we really need to get a lot of these people in the and, same room.
1: What? Here's, here's the last piece, and where I'm hoping the game changer is coming in. We have a representative from one of the credit rating agencies, who's going to be presenting right before I am. And what this is saying is to the credit rating agencies, they worry about enterprise risk. And so they're here, they were at uh, the uh, GE Edge Control Conference where I was about three or four weeks ago, and they were at a DOE meeting where I was even before that. The message is that the credit rating agencies are taking this piece of cybersecurity very, very seriously because an industrial or manufacturing company, their existence depends not on IT. It depends on the control systems. And if they're not taking that as seriously as they should, that's existential. The utility that I, my utility is now in bankruptcy My utility is also a convicted felon.
0: The corporate person is a convicted felon. The corporate person.
1: Is a convicted felon. Yeah, because of the San Bruno natural gas pipeline rupture, which was a control system cyber incident. So start putting all of these pieces together. This is a very real problem, and it has been very much avoided. And part of it, is because we've got the wrong people working on it. We've got the IT people who don't know how a grid works, how a power plant works, how a water system works. It's like you're going in for a heart transplant, and because IT has networked the operating room, they're going to tell the physicians what to do.
0: That's a scary thought.
1: I was at a meeting in Washington last week, and I won't say you know, the who or why, but the finance industry was there. And one of the points that they brought up, first time I'd ever heard it, but it really, really goes to the heart of what we're talking about, and that's that the economists have problems with the IT security people. It isn't just us on the engineering side. The domain experts pick an area have essentially been removed by... When it comes to cybersecurity, we have the tail wagging the dog, and that can't continue to happen.
0: This is really the tip of the iceberg, and Joe, I want to thank you for your time today. It is an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I could easily see this podcast going another two hours talking about this issue, uh, genuinely, because there's a lot to talk about. What would you, for those people who want to take action and for those people who want to latch on to the passion that you've delivered this issue with, what can they do? How can they contact you?
1: Um, I'll give you a couple of ways. Uh, number one, I write a blog, and I would encourage them to read the blog. I want to try to get the link for the podcast well, and put it on. can
0: they find the blog if they Google your name, Joe Weiss?
1: Yes, but it's it's www.controlglobal.com slash unfettered, U-N-F-E-T-T-E-R-E-D, um, Putman Media Control Magazine allows me to use their site for the blog. That's why. And then, you know, one of the things you could do, I mean, on the, on the blog site, I've got a couple of podcasts, but a simple thing, and it was 10 years ago, I gave a uh, lecture to a, class, a master's class in engineering, uh, electrical engineering at Stanford. And they basically recorded it. So if you simply Google my name, Joe Weiss, J-O-E-W-E-I-S-S, Stanford and cybersecurity, it'll pop right up.
0: And And, and I would encourage everybody to listen to those things because this is a serious topic if people share this passion. And I think this is uh, for those people who have an interest in disaster preparedness in terms of risk uh, assessment. This is high on the list because... Frankly, these types of issues are more likely than a solar EMP, which we can't control, or a a terrorist EMP, which again, we can't control, but this is something we can do something about. Cyber issues, this is an actionable item, and and I would encourage people to do that. And again, Joe, thank you for bringing your information and your passion uh, to this podcast. Thanks for joining us on the Information Security Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, you can listen to more from the Information Security Summit 2019, featuring keynotes and behind-the-scenes interviews with some of the summit's speakers by subscribing to the Information Security Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app, or go to informationsecuritysummit.org. We'd like to give special thanks to our sponsors, ASMGI and Bright Skies. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay secure.